All right, welcome back to the 11th episode now of the Resolution podcast, where we help artists gain clarity on their calling. This week's guest is a very good friend of mine now. He is a former professor as well. He's an investigative journalist. He's been in broadcast, NPR, and the list goes on. Professor Charlie Dietz. Well, thank you. Thank you. How's it going? Uh, wonderful. Wonderful. It's good to be here. Highlight of my day. And um, yeah, I just finished two lectures, my final lectures of the term. So I'll be off for like a month, you know, a lot of grading and stuff. Yeah. But it's good. I really felt um, emotionally connected to my classes this term, which is nice. I try to always, but it was definitely palpable this term. Um, yeah, a lot going on. You know what I mean? I'm actually applying for a full job here now, which you may not know I didn't have. But um, I'm in the running for the, I think they're going to make an offer next week. So nice. Yeah, we're, we're, we're looking good, sitting pretty coming into the holidays. Nice. Well, yeah. hope you get it. I'll, Thank you. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So there was one question I've been really wanting to ask a journalist of any capacity, and that was when you're, you know probably better than anyone, is the importance of the lead and that being the first line of an article or a news story or what have you. That is arguably one of the most important things to a story in general. Oh, yeah. So do you see any similarities from that concept and with the starting of a hip-hop verse? Like, for, I know you're, you've mentioned Wu-Tang before, so is mm -hmm. there any, any similarities you've seen between that and one of the songs that they have? I mean, yeah, and I would just say, you know, when I'm talking about writing, like general storytelling, I usually try to push people, and myself too, to write the middle first, to write like, you know what I mean, to put the mileage down on paper and then figure out your lead. And I think that could work for hip hop or any kind of writing because you kind of need to know where it's going to go. And then the trick is you put the sort of like the last scoop of ice cream on the cone. That's the way I see it. So why start with a lead? Why start with a hook? Unless you got something that's just rattling around, you want to get it on paper. Um, but I would say you want to be able to like, you know, really sell what they're about to get into. That's what a lead has to do. So it's more than just a hook. It has to also convince you to keep going, right? So like any hip hop song. So I think about like, like one that has always stuck with me is the Far Side passing me by, and I love them. I love that kind of music. Um, they brought in that sweet draw bar, Rhodes Organ, and um, and all of a sudden you hear now. In my younger days, I used to sport a sag, and I love that. Like that must have taken a long time to figure that out. When I went to school, I carried lunch in a bag, and all of a sudden I'm teleported into this thing. And what he's actually talking about is his like first crush. You know what I mean? That's what that whole song passing me by is like. Guys, I mean, I guess they call it curving now, but guys basically like getting looked over. And this whole song was about these three guys who are amazing rappers that still get looked over, you know, by by their girl. But I would imagine like that line, had it not been for that, I don't think that song would have blasted the way it did. Just because like that's the one you go back to. Even like the actual hook, the refrain is kind of boring. It's kind of boring. It's not as exciting as like now in my younger days I sort of used to sport a sag like. That gets you going. That's got the energy, mm. you know. Like their refrains are really just like breathing points in between. Now there goes, there she goes again. The dopest Ethiopian whenever I will pass by like that. Mm -hmm. Like so, um, I imagine like yeah, it, when you open something, whether it be a journalism story or a magazine article or a song, um, it's more than just like it's not just like clickbaity. Yes, you want people to be interested, but you also want to convince them, like, there's something here. Mm -hmm. Stay on for the whole ride. Stay to the last verse. Read to the last punctuation point. Like, 
yeah, like there's a lot of lot of heavy lifting that first sentence has to do. Absolutely. And then would you say that that also that the end also has that same amount of gravity to it? I think the end you can you can you can slide a little bit more around there because like you've already had the build up sort of like the musical crescendo, you get a sense of what the song was trying to do. But some people really will like wait for like a final payoff and I think more in terms of like journalism that way where you can bookend the end, right? You can you can kind of make the end connect back to the beginning and I would think that there's this amazing story written by Jackie Banaszinski called AIDS in the Heartland where it's crazy because in 1986 nobody thought that like they thought AIDS was a um, like a black drug addict metro disease mm-hmm. um, but turns out it's just a real disease that everybody was getting and so Jackie Banaszinski a reporter went and covered a farmer couple gay farmers had a farm out in Minnesota and she kind of wrote this like she started off with death is no stranger to the heartland which is a really powerful way to think about starting a story. And now we know what we're talking about. Wow. It sells it. And then, like, by the end of the story, she brings you through 3,000 words of, like, the day-to-day lives of these two farmers that are just doing their thing, third-generation family farm. And then, you know, basically she ends it like she started where, you know, she was talking about, like, death is just part of nature and, like, ba- like basically this guy's ashes will be taken down this river to the Mississippi and eventually out to the ocean. And that's how the story ends. So it's like perfect, perfect like parody, I guess, like between the beginning and end with a bunch of drama in the middle, like a bunch mm-hmm. of like really important stuff to learn about in the middle. Um, so sometimes I think it's possible, but I don't, I don't think if you have a boring end, it may, may make it less memorable. Okay. But, you know, like people like to feel that kind of completeness. But I think that um, you can get away with a little bit more there. You can play with it a little more. Your yeah. lead, your open, really has to come in hot and strong. Hip hop, any anything like, we live in an attention economy. Yeah, you know what I mean. If you don't come in with something hot, if you're not billboarding what's coming, chances are people will find something two seconds later that that does, and that's got their attention. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at TikTok and like right. Instagram, it's just that first three seconds. That's all you get. I mean, I'll, I'll look at stuff. And I'm bad. I'm I'm guilty. Look at TikTok and be like. I don't feel like watching something that's a whole 20 seconds. I just want four seconds. And I'll be like, skip. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm a terrible consumer that way because I'm, I'm very, like, mercurial. Like, some days I'll want the longer stuff, a whole 20 seconds. Some days I'll want uh, the four seconds. Um, yeah, attention economy, man. You got you to, gotta, like, start strong. Absolutely. That That's a really good point about, like, the idea of starting strong. And it also makes me think of... Do you also see that in albums as well? Do you, like, I'll give an example of the one that I'm thinking about right now. And that's J. Cole's latest album, The Fall, the, the Off Season. His next one's The Fall Off. The Off Season. He, like, the first intro song, it sounds like an intro. So it's, do you, can you think of any other albums off the top of your head that have, like, a very strong intro? And Yeah, I see what you're saying. So I, I think, it's cool that J. Cole J. Cole's doing that. Like I didn't I didn't know. I haven't heard enough of his stuff. Um, some people build albums by because they want to build an album, right? Like, um, you know, the weekend, what is it, Dawn FM, like built an album because they wanted to tell a story, like a twelve song story. But one of the first 
albums that did that was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by the Beatles, mm. where they literally started, like you you enter in, and they're starting it as if they're beginning a concert, like as if the curtain just came up and they want to simulate the idea they're doing a concert. It was kind of tongue-in-cheek, because this is right after the Beatles said, we're never doing any live concerts again. Wow. And so their next album they released after Rubber Soul, Sgt. Pepper's, was like pretending that you're at a concert and then every song like there'd be like maybe some applause at the end that would be the link between to make it seem like you're at a live show it was a full-on concept album magical mystery tour came out behind it full-on concept album but it's kind of rare now especially post soundcloud right Mm -hmm. where people like i found and maybe you've seen this too and some of your guests might as well that it you know the the streaming world kind of changes this idea of building an entire album or like mm. uh you know it's like push a song push a song push a song especially because you have so many different people working on it um and then like oh here's some other ones so it's cool that jay cole is thinking conceptually mm-hmm. about oh can i use a whole album to tell a story it's actually nice to see that potentially coming back as a way instead of just oh i got these 12 let's go you know yeah like it's it's more about well what's the idea what's the story here, um, how do we enter into the story how do we sell it right and how do we how do we convince you to stay on to the last note? Yeah, exactly. That's actually one of, that just reminded me of another thing was um. Like the applause in between songs, like you mentioned, there's a moment in "Damn" by Kendrick Lamar, and he you would appreciate this because you're into production as well. Yeah, yeah. He, the very last note of lust i think is a is like the second scale degree or like one note above i think it was like um it's like a d and then the next note starting for the next song is a c oh cool so it's like going bum bum so like it feels like a resolution like the the last song was like hanging you on yeah like you were saying about the lead you gotta like Create that suspense and then sell the rest of it. So. I feel like, and I'm I'm just now getting to the Kendrick game. Um, but w- what I like is that it does seem like he does like a lot of callbacks inside of his albums or to the other thing, other things on his discography. Like you'll hear a hook, but it'll, it might be like a manipulated version of that hook in another song. You know, so that's something that Beatles were doing all the time as well, like callbacks to previous albums or oh. like, you know, kind of like kind of wormholing things through their stuff, but. I definitely see like it's, it feels like he's given a wink to the audience, like kind of like if you know you know. Yeah, exactly. I like I like that's a really that's a really good uh, thing that you picked up there. I'll have to listen in on it. Usually when I go lately when I go to the gym, I'll listen to Kendrick. So yeah, yeah he's, he's great for that. No, oh, I think you would love. There's another podcast that I was I've been listening to. I didn't catch up on that immediately, but there's a podcast. It's called Dissect, and it breaks down like everything. Like it, he's he only does a couple albums. So he's done a couple albums so far. In each season that the podcast is gets released, it's a different album from a different okay. artist. So he's got like Miseducational Lauren Hill, um, To Pimp a Butterfly, Damn, and I think he's got some Denzel Curry. I think some, and he's got Beyonce on there as well. So he just does like specific albums and just like breaks them all down. So That's so nice, man. We live in we live in a pretty cool world where people are like that invested in in. You know these cultural products, the songs, mm-hmm. the stories, and things like that. We're we're in a lucky time that there are people like that, and so it's cool that you're here doing what you're doing. You know, like you know, giving giving stage to people to help to kind of like figure out their calling. That's an interesting metaphysical question, though, right? Mm-hmm. What is my calling, and is it just me telling myself it's a calling? Am I gravitated toward it? Like I I think there 
it brings up like the who am I, the existential stuff. You know yeah. I mean? Is this a calling or is this just something I have to be good at? You know, yeah. I like that. It's something fun to play with, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's like you said, metaphysical. So you can like, you can interpret it however you want to. Yeah. So. Yeah. Is a calling just me convincing myself it's a calling or is there something outside of me working, pulling, pulling the levers? I don't know. I don't know. Well, we're going, we're going a little too deep for that. Yeah. I know. We didn't even, didn't even smoke weed yet. <laughs> No. Going to get my endorsed uh, power drink. Yeah, there you go. It's Oregon, of course. Um, That's actually another thing I want to touch on. Have you seen any, because you're a producer as well, and have you seen any similarities between the creative process of writing a story and the creative process of producing? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Like, so I don't put my stuff really out to public. I mm-hmm. like, I just like to mess with digital production. I got my MPD two two six, and I got like the Akai mini mini organ, mm-hmm. like a sunflower. So um, enough stuff to make noise and be dangerous, but I haven't really like gone to the next level. But um, for me, and I'm not sure this is for anybody else. Like, I kind of let the sound decide, and and so mm-hmm. for me, it's I'm negotiating with the gear and being like. Oh, what kind of what kind of drum do I want to do? Like a cardboard style drum here? Do I want to do something that's got a little more like, you know, I want to sit on the snares a little bit harder? But it's like moment to moment, I'm asking myself. But I always start with a beat. You know what I mean? So I just need to get it out. Like let my fingers tell me what BPM I'm at today. Like mentally, you know, I'm at, am I at like 140? Am I feeling that? Or am I at more like a 106? You know what I mean? Like where do I want to be? What's my mood? You know what I mean? That's the heartbeat of the song. And then sometimes I'll like you know, lay down a little track beat and then start throwing stuff on it and then pull the beat out completely and redo it to be like, all right, now this actually gets close to what I wanted it to sound like. But, you know, for me, that's I like doing music that way. It actually makes it feel less deliberate in my regular life, teaching and stuff. Teaching is a form of storytelling, right? We're kind of yeah. like up there bringing you along this path of learning, I guess. Um, really overplaying, <laughs> really overplaying my hand here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, actually, music is more of a departure where I where I can be less deliberate. I can be more like sort of free form. Okay. Um, you know, when I play my guitar or like when I when I like mess around on the drum machine, then it allows me to sort of like escape the pressure. And I would hope that most people who do music can still have that feeling. I know professional musicians, it can feel a little mundane, like, oh, I'm doing this lick again, I'm doing this chord progression again, I'm doing yeah. this, this beat again. Um, that's a time that I would hope they would leave. Yeah. Leave the industry, you know what I mean? When it's no longer satisfying you as a performer, mm-hmm. don't do us any favors, just quit. Yeah, you know, honestly. Like, you can tell when, when a band is mailing it in, like when a performance just feels like they had to on contract. Um, I completely forget your question, though. So, <laughs> no, it's um. Do you see? I mean, you answered the first part, was mm. which was, do you see any similarities between your creative process when you're creating music mm. versus when you're writing a story or even teaching, for that matter? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I think, I guess, I guess, I would say I have a mood or a thing that I want to capture in anything, writing a story or teaching a lecture. There always has to be some like. Um, a, a trick, a big show, mm. right? Usually, I have like a reveal or something like that in my lectures. Where if I'm if I'm doing writing or um, 
yeah, if I'm doing writing, I know that there's like this one fancy thing, this one idea that I have to get across. I think in music it's kind of cool because it's it's much harder to to write out because I don't know the vocabulary. So I'm just like, I want it to feel like this. Yeah. Right. So maybe I need like a really dark bass line, like maybe like a like a wobble bass or a butterfly bass, and I'm gonna throw that on. And what I want is like a really snappy hi hat. I want that feeling. Mm. And then I got to play around with like, and I'll run it. I'll run it like listen to it back for a minute be like nah it's not that it's not the feeling i gotta, I gotta wipe it back i gotta change the filters i gotta i gotta do all the stuff so i'm really working on reverse engineering just chasing this feeling that i'm trying to like somehow do like paint by numbers like if i do this bass line yeah. if i do this melody if i use this organ or this like vocoder like am i gonna be like getting toward that feeling so it's a nice little way to dialogue with yourself and your creative process Interesting. I like the way like dialogue, and the what because I'm kind of the same way with negotiating. Like, oh, how does because I negotiate more with, not necessarily the gear because I use samples. Like, okay, I, yeah. Like yeah. use old jazz samples. So I think like, oh, how like, because I know there's some other people online that say no, the sample does what I want it to do. But I'm kind of like, I want to let it breathe a little mm. bit. I want to I want to control maybe this part. Like if there's a piano, I want to control control these little notes after the chord. Yeah. But like the rest of it can like it can flow a little bit because that's kind of the beauty of like just chopping and making like just letting it do what it wants to do and then me controlling what I want to control. Yeah, I like I like I like stringing samples. Like if I go to, you know, um, you know, get get a uh, oh shoot, what's it called a um, like a package, like a bunch of a bunch of samples or loops or whatever. Oh, a sample reason. pack. A sample pack. Thank you. Uh, like so I have like a launch pad, Novation launch pad. Mm -hmm. You can just run samples at different sort of like frames together, string them with different bass lines. There's a guy named Doc Brass you might want to be you might be interested Brass. in seeing. Okay. Yeah, D O K B R A S S. I've gotten to see him in concert in Brooklyn. He's a he's wow. a he's a producer. Um, we call them finger drummers. That's what that's what they call. Yeah. I, I hate the word, but that's that's what he does. <laughs> but he's all sample, and he's, he's mostly swing samples, like old swing jazz, and he he mixes them really well. Like his finger work is incredible. But he does live stuff. He's live, so he'll he'll do everything like in the moment wow. with all of his samples patched into his his MPD or MPC. Um, yeah, he's he's good like that, but. Hey, good for you, man. Why? Why is there gotta be rules? If you like, if you like stringing samples, letting them float together, and somebody else mm -hmm. wants to manipulate them, I mean, at the end of the day, like you're just making stuff, and that's better than not. Yeah. Right. So, those are one of those debates I don't see. I don't see as having a point other than hey, let's have a debate because it sounds interesting to yeah. like, just peacock a little bit and say mm -hmm. things, right? You know, like good. Yeah. Let 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 samples guide you. Yeah. Ex I mean, because like you said, it's all about that mood. I mean, yeah, sometimes you find you might find a hook or a sample and be like, damn, this person 80 years ago was feeling exactly what I am now feeling. And and it just captures that. That sound captures the exact thing I wanted. So, like, I think it's a way of kind of honoring the like the greats that came before us or, like, even yeah. the unknown folks that came before us. So I think I think it's totally valid. It's fun, especially if you get in the kitchen, like, you're in your Ableton or your FL Studio or whatever, and you can just do all these manipulations to samples. You're running a risk there, though. Like what? Like if the sample is familiar enough, you can do almost anything to it, mm -hmm. right? If I was to take like a popular song, um, you could do almost anything to that sample. Um, people will recognize it. Yeah. But if you find obscure stuff, if you're really digging in and pulling vinyl out of the garage sales, like mm -hmm. that's a sample that you're bringing clean back into the back into the register of culture. So it's yep. like 
you know, I think I think there's a good debate on both sides. Too diplomatic here. I don't. I yeah. can't. I can't. There's no lightning rod there. Yeah, and that's. I mean, that was a part of hip hop too. Like you're saying, like paying homage to the greats, because like they were sampling James Brown, and there was a song called um, Stetsonic, all that jazz. They were talking about how they have a line that goes, "James Brown wouldn't be as popular if it wasn't for hip hop." Like just talking about like hmm. we're the like it's an interesting argument. Yeah, yeah. No, I, like, I I haven't thought about it that way. James Brown, like it helped to resurrect his career because yeah, I mean he was he was just basically playing the greats. Even like the, his like embarrassing thing at Woodstock where he like didn't want to go on, that he was forced to go on. He was like mm-hmm. negotiating stage side. Um, yeah, maybe, but I mean, I don't know, like because. 80s, I guess hip hop was sampling a lot of that like breakbeat style mm-hmm. of like the 60s and 70s. Maybe, I mean, you, maybe you can make that argument for everybody, like everybody, yeah. like all all the like all the people that came out of Stax Records and Motown. Maybe they were re- reborn uh, through hip hop, which would only be awesome. Yeah, which I mean, but how do you how do you prove the other side? How it's like how do you prove like oh no these people are time timeless even if they weren't sampled? Yeah, it, and then, once again you're so gonna, you're gonna have this problem. This is like so culture's good, but it's also bad because we can always just go and prove what we want, mm-hmm. and we'll just we'll just like pull sources against each other. Um, I'll give you a little a little like anecdote from my life. Speaking of like resurrecting, um, Rod Stewart came out with a song. Um, it's like bring over your old Motown records. It was in like '91, and I just love that song. But he featured the Temptations, right? 1960s Motown. Oh. He featured them. They were his backup band on the song, and he mentioned them, uh, which actually got me into the Temptations. And so, like, luckily, my mom and dad had a few Temptations tapes, and so I was able to listen to them. And then I got my own tapes. And Temptations was my first concert ever when I was 14 years old. I saw this like awesome band. It was just me and a friend of mine. The only white kids or white, or only children or, or white people in the entire performance venue. But I thought it was like the greatest thing I'd ever seen. I'm 14 years old watching The Temptations. Um, so maybe, maybe this James Brown story, this idea of like, what's the kernel, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what's like, what is it, chicken or the egg? Is it is it like using a James Brown cut makes the makes the the song sound better, or is it the song is bringing James Brown back into the conversation? A, I don't know if there's an answer, and B, I don't know if it's going to prove anything one way or another if you find the answer. Yeah, it's all timeless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just timeless music makes timeless music. Look at old folk music. I mean, there was, like, they had, like, standard, like, you know, like old Torch songs. They had, like, standards. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of the songs that Bob Dylan originally came out with were just, like, you know, sort of borrowed versions of other older folk songs. You know what I mean? They would have standards they would play. Now, remember, music started before we could record it. So it was actually a normal thing for people to go and play other people's stuff mm-hmm. at a show. You know, like here we got the standard folk song, the standard bluegrass song, we got the standard like think about music before it was recordable. You had to have like some way of like standardizing the production process. John, yeah. John Philip Sousa, for example, like played. He was the hottest musician in the country in 1900, but he would play the same concert every single time. Wow. Damn, because you got to have that consistency in something. Yeah, people, people like how how are they gonna know? Like, yeah, they gotta they gotta know what you are, what your brand is. But now we just have the power to like record it and do things with it. That's so wild to think about. Wow. The crazy thing is, like, we're so new to this. Uh huh. We were only able to record music or record any sound like less than 150 years. Yeah. In the whole history of humankind, 
99.999% of it, we have not been able to record any media. So we are just babies in this. What is possible through sound collection, video, um, I imagine like we'll just get better and better at it. Mm -hmm. The weird thing is our recorded history as humans will only go back to 1870. Yeah. Every sound ever made before that time is gone. Whoa. Yeah. So we like we have no record. Like we can recreate things and assume uh-huh. things, but we actually don't have any recorded sound, right? Before the phonograph. Yeah. Um so everything before that is just like in the ether. Do you know who invented that by the way? Uh the phonograph? Yeah. I'm, I'm I, le- I lean toward Thomas Edison. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. That's but, what tripped me out. It was like, whoa, the light bulb and that? Yeah, he was singing Mary Had a Little Lamb, I think. I think that was really? the first recording was Thomas Edison. You can you can find there's YouTube clips of it. I think it was him singing Mary Had a Little Lamb. Um Yeah, so yeah, that's the first sound that we have as humans. In the million or plus years of our existence, that's the first thing we have as far as recorded media. Like, period. Because yeah. was that before the camera, too? Uh, yeah, they had, they had some versions of cameras at the time. They were kind of like on competing tracks. Yeah. Right? This is way before we were able to put these, like, sound plus picture. Yeah. So sure. we're, we're still a far way away from that, 30, 40 years before being able to do anything like that. So, yeah, I guess I guess... Cameras were around then because we had cameras during the Civil War time. Yeah, they just were very like slow and clunky, but amazing yeah. at the time. Yeah. So yeah, right around, right, right within about a decade or so, is humankind's first recorded media, picture and sound, and so that's literally where the record starts. So we're just into this journey. Wow. Imagine what recorded sound looks like. What sampling culture will look like in a hundred years. Yeah. When you have double the amount of sound. To pull from, you know what I mean? Or 300 years, 500 years, you know what I mean? Like, the stuff we're talking about right now is going to seem like we're talking about, like, like medieval times. Yeah. You know? But, like, I can, I can only imagine what's going to happen. Or we'll just go up and smoke. Who knows? <laughs> Let's hope it's the first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to be here either way yeah. in 500 years, so I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I hope it gets better. Either way. Yeah. Um, There's one question, too, that I had, and that was... Do you, as a like, as a journalist and as somebody who has stayed, like, who's been observing kind of the earlier stages of hip hop? I'm thinking about like the Public Enemies and stuff like that, and the NWAs. Have you ever had like an, a journal, like a journalistic appreciation for some of those artists? Like, mm. wow, like I really like the way they're telling this story and how it's like some really good storytellers. I mean, yeah, I think uh, I think Grandmaster Flash was a really good storyteller. You know, like, broken bottles everywhere, people pissing in the halls, and they don't care, right? Just don't like, care, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, I think that is, like, actually, when you think about that, it is journalism, right? They're saying, like, you're supposed to so comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And so, you know, what is it? Is It's an indictment on, like, inner city politics and, and like, you know, what what becomes of people when they're given like nothing but destitution mm-hmm. like food deserts, you know? So I would say, I would say like what I like is to see that critique that shows up in hip hop. Cause you know, maybe it had its roots in a little bit more like, you know, party style, like get like raising the room. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like hip hop, like co- pulling from these old disco beats and gospel beats and mix them together. Um, as a way to get your, your ass moving, you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's awesome. But, 
you know, eventually I think it kind of matured in the late 70s, early 80s, where it's like, oh, we can we can say something like, you know, and there's something about sort of the flash of the look like look like Rum DMC, right? Because they always had super clean white Nikes. Mm. Or, excuse me. My bad. White Adidas. <laughs> almost messed up. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the cool, like, is that journalistic? Well, I don't know. Like, I'm going to interpret. I'm going to go off on a limb here. But mm-hmm. like to have that is actually showing you're telling a story if your shoes are super clean and you live in kind of like an area that isn't a really nice fancy area but your shoes are still really clean it's a really interesting way to tell a story about how you kind of thrive in that environment like you're able to keep your shoes from getting scuffed up it's a very important thing that's why there's a lot of like politics around Hmm. like clean shoe culture and so think about that but is it journalism i think so it's telling the story of a community right like if we can expand the definition of journalism because the way we think of it now i don't think that's going to last much longer like yeah people love storytelling i don't necessarily know if they like it to be as like you know kind of commodified and and somewhat abstract mm-hmm. you know like they want they want to hear the, the heartbeat yeah um so if anything hip-hop was able to give people a platform to talk about things that were really messed up in their community if they wanted to and bring attention to it in a way that was catchy yeah you know what i'm saying so maybe it was like a marriage of two things like this new awesome invention of music with you know people who like you know kind of wanted to bring attention to what their lives were like and and how things were going not say it was always bad Mm -hmm. but just to be like yo we may be somewhat forgotten you know what i mean like we may may maybe somewhat like pushed aside but you know there's no way you can ignore us we have like the hottest sound on the planet which is still pretty much global right well, like it's totally global. it's it's only getting bigger it's only becoming more and more real so it's the poetry of our time mm-hmm. um so i think i think it's that i think this is like you know even going back to wb yeats and going back to like medieval times and shakespeare like we use these hooks we use these fancy techniques right mm-hmm. rhyming and a catchy beat and a boom boom bap but on top of that we can actually put stuff that's like a like a referendum on society and yeah. so I think journalism and hip hop share a lot in common, and maybe that's just my like going off on a tangent. Yeah, but telling stories about people who otherwise wouldn't have those stories told is what I hope they're both doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I agree. I love that like that type of hip hop, like just telling stories that I wouldn't hear otherwise. Yeah, and so, in a certain type of way, what kind of words you use? Mm-hmm. Tell me about the texture of your life. Like, tell me about like I like when people talk about the kind of car they drive. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't always have to be like superficial but mm-hmm. it gives you a sense of who the person is yeah and and i and i like that um that's not to say like i like all the different types of music but i think i think hip-hop has definitely got it's having a moment and it's it's really coming and like swallowing up almost any other genre it's like that weird genre that you can put anything in there yeah it's like what is hip-hop and it's harder and harder to define where yeah back in the day you think herbie hancock future shock when they first brought a scratch onto the stage yep and like i think that was like 1982 or something like that where they actually brought the scratch in as mm-hmm. an instrument um you know to now where it's like any sample is like that's open territory right that's wild west yeah and so like what other i don't know many genres that can actually pull that off yeah, that's really interesting you say that because I'm I'm thinking of there's like some Indian instruments that sound like really good in trap, like just some we, like just some like people from India, sure, like just their instruments to just put it in a trap beat. And it's like, wow, that sounds really good. So it's like, where is the limit with this? There, I don't I don't think there's a limit. That's that's I'm I'm curious to ride that 
roller coaster and, and see where it goes and think, you know, I look even further down the road. What happens when we can do, we can already do it, but it's a little bit laggy, like live concerts or live jam sessions across the world from each other. Mm-hmm. You know, TikTok's been good for that, linking up musicians and being like, you know, stitch this or like, you know, use this beat, show me something. Um, I see that as only only growing and growing and growing, almost mm-hmm. almost like, you know, you, you could start like dropping in on people's jam sessions and yeah. seeing what comes out of it. but. I also think it's at a point now, which is nice, that I don't see necessarily people making turf wars over, hey, I'm a rock person, not a rap person, right? Like, yeah. That's such like a outdated th- way of thinking. Um, but hip-hop just has like, I think whatever, it, the, fact, the fact that it's harder to define makes it so it can grow faster, I think. Yeah. Like, I think once you have a definition of it, then it starts to bust out of that that thing and then you got to call it something else so there was a point like hip-hop versus rap hip-hop versus rap you know mm-hmm. what i mean like that's kind of an unnecessary debate but there it it existed at one point right but i think rap became like kind of like the antiquated term where like it's a little too heavily defined therefore like what if we do this well let's just go back to hip-hop yeah I, that's interesting you say that because i was just having a conversation about somebody and they were making that distinction of like i hip-hop i was talking about like the state of hip-hop music and he was like oh hip-hop it's in an incredible state right now it's thriving rap music nah that's trash i'm like wow that's yeah i mean maybe it's interesting people still think like that maybe there's going to be a departure or something like maybe there will be like an actual carving out like a line between the two which which would be fine um you know i i guess in my mind and again i'm i'm not the expert that a lot of your other guests are but yeah i've always felt like hip hop was more of like a, a state of mind or like a way of being than, yeah. than just a musical genre cuz i feel like you know like good graffiti is is hip hop i feel like break dancing is hip hop it's like a, it's like a whole thing right like um you know just like a like a, a way of existing in the world it's more of a be than a do you know what i mean yeah. like, so rap maybe like that's like just isolating the music component of it but i feel like hip-hop has a lot more a lot more like cultural threads Mm -hmm. as well as the music yeah his well to play devil's advocate he was saying um rap was like the the drugs parties violence like the stuff that exemplifies that he's he was calling that rap and then like like the stuff that makes you think telling stories stuff like that that's hip-hop yeah so yeah so rap's gonna get this like pejorative thing but um i don't know i don't i don't know i I think a lot of good people who have done good music consider themselves rappers and so you know let them call themselves rappers and and it may it may be one of these debates that doesn't really have like even if there's an answer it doesn't really have a lot of merit so what do you do with that all right hip-hop wins or rap wins like either way like let's just keep making music you know yeah for sure because you know at some point it's all going to seem pretty outdated, the stuff we're talking about right now. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's going to hold water or be like, oh, don't worry. It's always going to be called hip-hop. Like, whatever. Yeah. It'll be, it'll, it'll be something. Time will tell, I guess. Time will tell, yeah. Um, unfortunately, we're about out of time, but there's one last question. I actually think we t- touched on it earlier. Um, who would you say are your five favorite hip-hop storytellers? Hip-hop storytellers? Um, I would say... Nas, I mean specifically one mic. Like Okay. Um I would say like I mean the Wu Tang is like <laughs> fifty people, but <laughs> but I would I would say, you know, like the Rizza probably is like to me like the resurrector of Gravediggers or Wu Tang, like either one. Um 
I see him as like a, a genius beyond merit. Um, so, you know, I think I think Kendrick, even though I'm just getting getting into his like discography and I'm slow to the game, I'm a middle aged guy, so I'm a little slow to like what's what's new and good. Mm-hmm. Happy I found that. Um, I would say like like maybe Doodlebug or like all of Diggable Planets. Like, diggable planets. Yeah, yeah, I love diggable planets and like, um, all of them. Like, like I love their blowout comb. I love their reaching. I like, I like both of their like big blockbuster albums. Um, and then probably like we've, I think we've talked about this before. Like, like most deaf and Talib Kweli. Like, yeah, Black you know Star. I mean? Like, sure. yeah, Black Star. Like independently or or together. So I think those are the ones where I'd probably be like, these are the five that I'm definitely gonna be like working in and out of the rest of my life. Yeah, you know, like even even after like nobody knows, I'm surprised you know. Like that's cool, man. You know who Diggable Planets are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you could tell when I was listening to hip hop the most, right? Yeah. And I just got to a certain point in my life where like I started pivoting on other things, but you know, certainly like because I was coming of age in like the 80s and 90s, so that's mm-hmm. when it was like most like in front of me and i was i think i was lucky to come from a pretty like mixed um you know community i guess in uh in jersey where yeah i feel like there was a lot of different um ethnicities and cultures and ways of being like there wasn't just one monolithic white or one monolithic black right you have yeah. like you have like haitians or like polish people irish people italian people like portuguese puerto rican you know what i mean like so I think I was lucky at the time. I didn't recognize it, but it, like it's definitely moving to like Oregon, seeing towns that have very little. I'm like, all right, so you know that that's where I think for me, hip hop becomes more of like a way of being, just because like you see it all around you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You hear like the the cars going by, playing the song, or like kids coming to school with their boom boxes, which is very much a thing. Kids sharing their headphones on their Walkman, like, but. It was pretty much always like whatever the new hip hop song was. That's what was banging. That's what mm-hmm. was going. That was that's what was booming out of the nine inches coming down the coming down the road. That's what's in the headphones. Like, so it was like around me that way. And so I felt like I got to immerse myself in in like just the day to day. Yeah. You know, as opposed to seeing it as like some isolated thing that I just listened to. Like I said, I think it, I think it can be seen as like an effusive way of being. Yeah, absolutely. It's. I mean, yeah, I really like the way you said that hip hop is definitely a way of being and not just doing. So, yeah, which is another existential question: what's what's the difference to do or to be? To do or to be? To dooby dooby dooby. To do or to be? Like people try to say, like I'm not a human doing, right? I'm not a human doing. That's like them, like you know, trying to make themselves valuable outside of their productivity and stuff. Mm-hmm. Truthfully, like the world doesn't necessarily embrace that idea yet to just yeah. be a human being um you know what if you're a piece of shit <laughs> you know like is that okay like yeah. so you know like to do to do and to be like the again one of those hallways that never ends that de- yeah. that debate will never end i took years and years of like critical theory and it's like one of those one of those questions like even if you find the end you find that one last like string that you pull the light bulb and you're like it's just a closet <laughs> i'm nowhere i like who cares to do it to do yeah. it to be, but um, yeah, I think the difference is like, can you isolate it from your life, or is it or is it part of your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having for coming on, man. It was awesome having you. Um, one thing I like to do with all my guests is send them a cassette tape recording 
of the entire interview, which I was looking at the time because I had to make sure we weren't, we weren't going sure, like, to yeah, go yeah. over the cassette tape limit. Because yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's, am I going to get me a Memorex? Uh what is? I think it is a Memorex. Memorex, yeah. Sony, those are the big ones. Mac, Maxell, I think, was another one. Max. Um, yeah. yeah, man, I'll just yeah. I'll have to find something that can play tapes. Yeah, because I don't have anything that plays like you know handheld media anymore. No DVD player, no CD player, no wow. tape player. I'm digital everything. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's. But I, mean, I love it, man. I mean, that, yeah. that's awesome. This has been a real honor coming here, and like, I wish you the best. And um, if you're on a show, you're lucky. You're lucky. <laughs> Appreciate that. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it.